right, hopefully we are now actually audible. It looks like it's working now. That was, uh, thank you for those who pointed out that uh, there was no audio. I appreciate that. I was only talking for about a minute to nobody, but I'm pretty sure that this is now working. Um, and um, let's see, we are, um, it is uh, Wednesday. December 29th, 2021, and I I used to do a lot of uh, broadcasts uh, during the pandemic, uh, early year and a half, I guess, of the pandemic or so. I was uh, doing a lot of uh, uh, discussions and interviews and stuff with various folks, and I got into doing other things like uh, in the... uh, physical world uh, more recently, but um, uh, then Omicron hit and everything's getting derailed again. So uh, I'm back to doing winter, uh, every Wednesday, just uh, just every Wednesday live streams. I might get, I might increase the schedule. We'll see. I don't know. But uh, Wednesday noon Pacific time, I'm doing uh, live streams on various platforms and um, that then go up as a podcast afterwards. If you look for This Week with David Rovix, wherever you get your podcasts. And um, mostly I've been doing concerts uh, sort of things, uh, playing the mandola for you over the past few weeks. But today I am very happy to be joined shortly by Food Not Bombs co-founder Keith McHenry who will be joining me from Santa Cruz and uh, California. And Keith is um, working on getting uh, uh, <clears throat> the, I believe, uh, Chrome browser installed on his computer, which is the one that works best with this StreamYard software. Uh, so he might be, uh, he's he's running a little late, and I, I'm also running uh, late as a result of these technical problems, which uh, basically I have this really cool device which you plug a regular microphone into. Uh, what, what is it called? I don't know. These things have it's focus right, uh, Scarlet Solo. But I mean, I don't know what it's a thing you can plug a guitar and a mic into basically, and uh, and then it and then it sort of. Um, you know, works with your computer, uh, so whatever that thing is called. But um, with if you're working it with Windows, you just basically have to reinstall the driver constantly. Like, um, uh, although sometimes it'll be fine for for like a month, and and then all of a sudden you need to reinstall the driver every time you you uh, every time anything gets disconnected. Hey. Cool. Keith McHenry, Good. wonderful. Great to see you. Great to see you too. Yeah, I'm traveling with a little laptop that I usually don't use. And uh-huh. so I don't have all my trip together on it. <laughs> no worries. We all had technical issues, but but everything got worked out. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, and you, you look and sound great. And uh, and you got just the right beard for the season as well. I'm, yeah. I'm working on mine, but yours is is getting really impressive and and whiter uh, uh, as well. Yes, <laughs> and little kids all look at me when I'm walking around. <laughs> Santa, thinking I'm the Santa, and I actually turned out I am. <laughs> uh-huh. Santa. I just don't go down your chimney. <laughs> I just go down your road with vegan food. It's it's very related. 
You know, I knew <laughs> there was one guy in Berkeley, California, who uh, I was roommates with, this guy who he really looked nothing like Jerry Garcia, but he had enough of a resemblance that if you didn't know that Jerry Garcia wasn't very tall, people people mistook him for Jerry fre frequently, which was <laughs> Santa would be more, more fun. <laughs> Yeah, I looked for a little red hat to wear, but I, I didn't have one. <laughs> so if any, if anybody watching on any of the various platforms we're on um, wants to ask any questions or comments or anything, I'm looking at the uh, streams and stuff, uh, all the different uh, platforms. I can see them all in one place here. And what, where are you traveling? What's what? What are you up to? Just uh, for oh, the holidays? Or yeah, we're Mexico? visiting high school friends, and I'm working on, um, you know editing this book I've been working on for many years, so doing that Great. and swimming. Oh, excellent. Swimming. Swimming. Yeah. It's, it's good weather for swimming in New Mexico, right? Yeah. I, I'm in Mexico. Down in, oh, in Mexico. Yeah, oh, yeah, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, even warmer. Been right. Yeah. Yeah, cool. good. So it's been quite a year. Another another year. Every year is quite a year. It's been quite a year for a long time, <laughs> ever since... Yeah. Uh, 42 quite a year in the Food Not Bombs world. 42 years of Food Not Bombs, 42 years of, of housing becoming less and less affordable all over the country, 42 years of increasing poverty and more and more people living in tents. And it's pretty much just the trajectory for 42 years, hasn't it been pretty much uh, yes. the way yeah. things are going? Yeah, our first actions were like um, street theater saying that the economic and political conditions um, particularly around the election of Reagan, were to continue, there would be a future where people would be standing in uh, soup lines to get their meals. Uh, I remember that first meal on Atlantic Avenue outside the um, Federal Reserve Bank when the Bo Bank of Boston was having their stockholders meeting. And we actually did, I approached a number of, um, I went to the Pine Street Inn, which was a shelter that was a holdover from the Great Depression, which in those days was on Pine Street. And uh, gave a little speech, and the guys showed, and one woman. And uh, they said there's no food for homeless people in, in Boston. And I remember this one uh, businessman coming out of South Station, and he was completely freaked out. He's like, oh, my God, Reagan's only been in office a little over a month, and there's already soup lines in America. And, uh, you know, now, you know, all these years later, it's, I mean, it's cascading. In the last um, October at the beginning of October, they, I've never seen so many new unhoused people showing up. And I started October of, of 2021, whatever the year is that we're in. Yep, yep. Yeah, 2021. And it was it was a, a nightmare. And then in November, it just escalated dramatically. And, and Keith, uh, what do you think is the um, what, what do you think is, is particularly happening? Because I mean, can we break down 2021 a little bit? Like, I think, I mean, at least in terms of my own uh, life um, they, the, and 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 millions of others. The pandemic unemployment assistance program uh, ended um, like in the summer, I believe, uh, or for some people in September. For me, in July. But I think a, a heck of a lot of people lost a heck of a lot of income, and and that makes it kind of makes sense that that October would be the month that that you'd start seeing this big upswing. Yeah, I think it's it's that um, the eviction moratorium was a complete failure um, in, in many ways. I think it, it kept um, people in-house for a while, but I think that was part of it. 
um, even though in California, allegedly, we do have, uh, I think, still have an eviction moratorium. Um, the other thing is that, um, and I think, unemployment uh, ending. And I think also uh, just a massive um, uptick in, in um, uh, property speculating, particularly by hedge funds. And so I think what happened was a lot of people lost their property because their rents were dramatically increased when the building changed ownership. And there was a lot of that in, in, the, in the summer. And I think that's what eventually tipped many people. So it's a combination of all these things. And I it's think a it's a cascading also kind, of, kind of thing. Huh? Yeah, it's just an in, intersection of that. And um, yeah, there, and and more businesses closing and i think so therefore then the workers that were working at the businesses or um you know ran out of their income um i know that the housing the uh the, i think there's still over 40 billion dollars that's not been allocated to rent um, assistance and i know in my, our county uh, you were supposed to get it for um you get two months paid you know so that Often they might have, you know, and it was supposed to go to the landlords, but there was all kinds of problems with that. So unless you were in the um, California unemployment system and then it made it easy because you were still in your, you know, had access to, to Internet and things like that. If you didn't, you know, lose that because you couldn't pay for it, then you could potentially, um, you know, get, uh, um, you know, get more um, rent relief. So I have met actually one person that successfully did get that. Um, but most people didn't appear that that happened. And a lot of it was, um, it was supposed to be in this one program. That's the other thing, there's a matrix of programs, right? There's so many programs. So you might be in one that actually works, but you might be in one that does not work. And so, you know, I think there may be three or four different levels of potential uh, rent subsidy that you could potentially get. I know the one woman I talked to, the landlord didn't have to accept it, you know, that had no part in it. But then I've heard other people where the landlord rejected the, the um, rent relief, and that was um, because they were trying to sell the property to get rid of the tenants to sell to a hedge fund. So it's, it's just, really quite a situation with the whole rent relief thing, like with all this money that is not getting to the tenants who need it because in so many cases in one state after another they pass these it, it goes the, the federal money goes to the states and then the states put all these requirements on the money uh like uh, people have to be able to show a lease or they have to have their landlord's permission or all these different kinds of requirements that are just unnecessary requirements you, you they just can't bear the thought of just giving money to people who need it you know Correct. it's uh <laughs> yeah yeah it's, and, and i think that's the way of um yeah, I think in some cases there's a lot of corruption where the money just gets siphoned off by, um, you know, lo you know, goes into some pocket of money in a county or something and then never gets to wherever it is. Like in our case in Santa Cruz, it's supposed to go to Community Action Network. And it's actually the same program that has existed for at least 20 years. So nothing new about it. But the money is supposed to come from the feds to the state to the Community Action Network. And then... You know, it just who knows what happened. So that was one of the probably the main conduits. But then there was these other conduits as well. It's the same also with, um, you know, millions and millions of dollars were dumped into homeless programs in Santa Cruz County. And yet you just don't really see anything, you know, happening with that. There's 117 people in COVID hotels 
out of the thousands of people that lived in the outside. And um, that has been a real uh, unfortunate thing as well. And, and what is that? This is just because if somebody gets COVID, then they get put into a hotel, but otherwise they don't? There's no hotel rooms for them if they're no, living no, outside? It, no, it actually had nothing to do really with COVID. These were people that were at, allegedly at risk, right? But a lot of the most at-risk people who, you know, had no substance abuse issues, who were elderly. I had one friend, Bob Reese, who um, unfortunately, he finally got in the hotel after like, a year, maybe a little over a year, but he was only in for one week when he finally died of a, a heart attack, the heart attack that he'd been struggling with for um, like half a year by that time. And, you know, he's 70 years old. And for whatever reason, we couldn't get him into the one of the church shelters. It took us months to do that so we could plug in his um, CPAP machine. And then, you know, just that whole stress of li carrying all your stuff and carrying a a useless CPAP machine around for like six months. It was just crazy. And um, what's this machine? Oh, for it, like if you're sleep sleep apnea and, oh. and you and you have a heart failure, and hopefully you won't be uh, needing that in the future. But you know, a lot of older people do, and um, uh, if they have heart problems, because your heart can just stop and then not mm -hmm. restart while you're sleeping. And um, you know that. So that uh, you know, there's like. You know, you have to have a wall for that. So many of the programs. So I would say, look, in my experience, from at least Clinton on, and Clinton kind of arrives on the scene as a president around the time that the homeless crisis is now full tilt in the U.S., then he does welfare to work and all these programs. So they, they made it Making so things much worse. Yeah. And, at and that point, with the welfare reform, which, which we should note, given who's in the White House now, was a huge, huge uh, thing supported by Biden. Yeah. Yeah. And it's time. been a tragedy because you have you also say if you're an unhoused person and you're going through their vulnerability um, assessment, which is a 53 page, I think 53, it might have gone up to 56 pages. And it asks you such things like, um, for example, um, do you get um, you have a do you fill a prescription for medicine that you then sell on the streets? So it's all these personal things like that. And the ultimately the you to get a higher score, you have to be a drug addict. If, the best thing to be is a drug addict, alcoholic, and mentally ill. Then your score is much higher. But all those people who, um, you know, don't uh, have those issues or are not willing to say that they have those issues in this vulnerability um, survey that your, um, you know, that your um, caseworker is supposed to help you fill out, um, you know, just you never get very high and then up on that and so then what happens is that the most uh, desperate people that have the most problems do get housing but then it's hard for them to stay in that housing so then the people that have jobs that live outside who um who would succeed if if in housing can't get into the housing because they can't get their score high enough and um you know, uh, we had some cleanup bombs activists that were also professors at the university of alabama who did both a documentary and a um, book on the medicalization of homelessness. And they had found in feeding the hungry in, in Birmingham, Alabama, that they were, every, people talked about what their choice was. They, they, you know, people that were, had no mental health problems with, or alcohol problems or, or drug abuse problems would announce them that they did have one so they could access services. And um, 
you know, and, and that, so that was built into this whole, whole system. And then there's a whole funding apparatus. So for instance, the grand jury in Santa Cruz investigated the funding for homeless services several years ago, and they couldn't figure out what was going on at all. And literally millions of dollars was just like somehow disappeared. And um, you could see all the time there'd be, I call in the, particularly once um, um, uh, the, the um, Biden administration came into power, we, I started seeing what I would call um, uh, rule by headline. So there would be these, uh, Newsom, for instance, would go with the governor in California would go, um, oh yeah, there's a, um, you know, a, a, uh, it started out at $500 million to help the homeless during COVID. And then there's supposed to be these money to buy these hotels and all these trailers and all these things. And then none of that actually happened very rarely. I think there was a hotel in Fresno that was bought. There was um, like, they paid actually $61,000 for a little, uh, um, for a 12 by 12 painted square in front of city hall with a pup tent on it. $61,000 for each one of those. Um, things like that. And, so and basically like, like part of the thing is the, the property owners, the landlord lobby uh, and other neighborhood associations oppose having any kind of uh, housing of the, uh, in, in their neighborhoods. Right. And then, yeah. That 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 always complicates any kinds of efforts. And of course, as that cost of housing is constantly rising, and and there's there's very little any kind of uh, actual uh, support for affordable housing, or or you know, then th- yeah, at the same time, uh, the 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 landlord lobby and and neighborhood groups are opposing any kind of housing. I and mean, of course, it means property r- r- rates might not rise as fast in that neighborhood if there's some tiny houses nearby or something, right? Right. Yeah. But yeah. It, is it any wonder in a in a in a society with such a completely broken system for housing people with with so many people living on the streets that we have the highest number of pandemic deaths in the world it, it just uh, doesn't seem uh, surprising actually are you surprised <laughs> well you know the interesting thing is at the beginning of the pandemic i was thinking wow the homeless are going to definitely take a, a hit but it turned out there was virtually no homeless uh People got COVID in, in Santa Cruz. There was a, uh, I know of only two, and uh, out of like five thousand people, and those, at least people, they have the benefit of air circulation living in. Yeah, the tent. yeah. It turns out people are just outside. And, you know, I've been I've been outside since March fourteenth of twenty twenty, and um, yeah, and and you just don't see the, you know, for at the beginning we were like obsessed with like you know, washing everything down. We had written put six foot marks on the street, things like that. But then the only two people we know of that, that I met out of all the people I know was um, both were inside shelters. One was not only unhoused herself and but worked at the shelter inside and she was sick for like, she said she felt bad for like a couple of days and was not an issue. And then the other person was, um, that was Crystal and then Dreamcatcher was uh, more sick, but he was inside the whole time. So it was uh, relatively, you know, surprising me um not not really a crisis for homeless people the crisis for homeless people in santa cruz for uh, this is also started maybe in august i would say if people would find little bags of pot sitting on the ground and they would go wow this is exciting you got some pot they'd go get a couple of their friends they'd sit around they'd first person would light up a bowl and damn they were dead right there phoenix died right outside the peanut bumps kitchen 
with one toke. Oh and my then, God, uh, people are leaving poisoned bags of pot out in, in streets and is that what's going on? Yeah, yeah, they put fentanyl in it and then you- or, Fentanyl? Or, what, or, or some And then other. they call it an overdose. Yeah, they just die instantly. It's, in fact, it may be even a stronger type of fentanyl. Um, I mean, if it is, but but this is like a case where people are are actually actually finding a, what they think is a is a bag of pot, and then it turns out to be laced with fentanyl, and and they die. Correct. I mean, that, is, I, is that? And that's happening across the country right now. Actually, you know, there's reports of this. I read recently a report in Connecticut of the same thing. We had, and so we had a ton of people die in the last. We had over 150 friends die, or unhoused people die officially. In Santa 150 Cruz. in the streets of Santa Cruz over yeah. the course of 2021 or, or yeah, is 2021. It, or, yeah. Yeah. And I and, think uh, it's been no, uh, just no, over 100 here in Portland uh, uh, over 2021, I believe, died on the streets. And yeah, that's, of course, no, not counting uh, over 100 people dying in gun violence. Yeah. We had, yeah. And some in some of it. Well, one of our friends was um, her lover got out of jail and she was trying to. She was on a methadone program trying to uh, and had gotten her life together and everything. And, and uh, when he came to, to see her, he she was like, no, it's over. I'm not hanging with you anymore. And he killed her. Drove her around in her own RV for a week dead with a dog and then eventually ran out of her um, food stamp card and everything and ran out of gas and then turned himself in. Um, you know, and then and a bunch of people were actually died of shooting smack that was, had fentanyl and it was too strong. Um, others, uh, you know, so it's, but we didn't have any unhoused COVID deaths at all in the county, um, you know, at all. We have had um, fully vaccinated. In fact, um, sadly, the more fully vaccinated people have died of COVID than unvaccinated in our county in the last few months, which is a tragic, Some, uh, and, and that's, becoming kind of an escalating crisis as well which is like it's a very high rate of, of vaccination though in, in in santa cruz county I yeah imagine. yeah we, yeah I, I believe we have one of, we do have a very high rate the the last week the only person that died of covid was fully vaccinated and uh and then the organizer they, you know the the owner of the, one of the pubs i was supposed to play at last month um in scotland um, died of covid and actually a few days after i was supposed to play there and he was fully vaccinated as well yeah it's quite but, um let me just take a moment somebody's asking about whether this is going to be archived on facebook and that's a wonderful question the video uh, it will be archived on facebook uh, and probably on the food not bombs global page as well as on mine as well as other places like Popular Resistances page and KBU Community Radio's page, as well as on my YouTube channel and if on, in podcast form if you look for This Week with David Rovix, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And then also somebody else is asking a wonderfully pertinent question to ask, ask Keith McHenry, which is, uh, do you have any tips on starting up a local Food Not Bombs chapter? Cool. Well, that's really a good. You know, I'm at, and just thinking about today's uh, interview, um, certainly, to start a food, there is a foodupbombs.net, and the, and uh, has um, if you go to the volunteer link at the top, then it will take you to either what you do to volunteer in the pre-existing group or how to start a group. Called um, Seven Steps to Starting a Food Not Bombs, and um, Barcelona Food Not Bombs just started up this week, uh, doing their first meal, and um, 
one of the earliest things that they did was to, I mean, and they've, we've actually had Barcelona put up bomb troops in the past, but this is a, one restarting. And so what happens is typically they will uh, organize a, a, make like social media, announce a, um, a meeting to get people together. Um, then this ne the next main thing is fi figuring out once you have this group, which might be three people, it might be 10, could be, you know, then you figure out who's going to do food pickups and how you're going to do that. You're going to contact grocery stores and ask them, um, the produce departments particularly, what they're throwing away and if you can pick up and come by on some regular basis. Sometimes you choose your day of the week if you're going to do once a week, which is what, for example, Barcelona is doing and what many groups do, um, particularly when you start out, is to... Uh, uh, you know, for instance, maybe the best time to get produce at what at your grocery store is when the um, you know they're throwing out more of it on Wednesday, or the churches get it every other day, but Wednesday's free, and then you collect it that day and have your meals every Thursday or something like that. And um, you want to find a, a, a very visible location to share the food. The food. So there's three principles to food not bombs, which kind of is why this is in a thousand cities and made it possible because it's like a easily reproducible uh, DIY action. And um, so you, you would find a, a high visibility location that is, has, you know, workers and unhoused people frequent this area um, and it's public um, uh, like train station, outside train stations or bus depots or but like say in Portland, when for years it was every day, it was uh, near the Burnside Bridge or if it was rainy, it was under the Burnside Bridge on the west side of the river. And so that kind that so you would show up at this regular time. It's super important, although I know in it, um, if it's real like in the winter in Edmonton, Canada, for example, right now they do it in City Hall because it's just out intense, you know, or in, in Peterborough. Um, Ontario, they do the same thing, thing. They do it inside. But if you can do it outside, you want to be for two hours is best to, because that's the food safety is more successful if it's two hours. Uh, but also if it's not an hour and it's two hours, which is better, you have more contact with more people. And um, one of the things that the FBI has been really interested in doing and, and local um, authorities with the assistance of the FBI, is to try to get your meal to be hidden so no one sees you. And uh, that's where the original Food Not Bombs conflict happened in San Francisco in 88. And since you and, and I- uh, thought, The FBI, uh, can you just uh, expand on that a little? Because this sounds like, I know you've, you've been involved with starting chapters and stuff all over the, the country and the world, but so there's there's certain patterns that uh, people who do a lot of traveling are more likely to start uh, noticing. And you're saying the FBI, I mean, this is presumably the FBI's involvement mean, means this is a national campaign that they've been involved with in suppressing this phenomenon of food, not bombs all over the country. Is that right? Yes, correct. So like recently, um, during the period of COVID, actually, we received a, uh, um, we do a lot of for Freedom of Information Act requests. We have a good friend, uh, Ryan Shapiro, and uh, an attorney friend, um, Jeffrey Light, who um, do property for the property of the people, which is, a, um, I think, the most famous thing recently. They've been getting the, the January 6th um, communications of, of uh, FBI um, 
and their involvement and manipulation of that event at the Capitol building. Um, but the, so the, uh, what we found out is on, so we were originally arrested in San Francisco on August 15th, 1988, after I had written a letter to the Parks Department for a permit, assuming it would be like the street performance permit we would get in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which basically was if you left your aunt behind, the cops would then go to City Hall. What's the phone number of somebody that might have been performing on the streets? They call you up. Your aunt is here. You go to City Hall. You get your aunt. That was what I perceived as a permit in San Francisco, assuming San Francisco was more liberal even than Cambridge, right? And I've been doing it in Cambridge and Boston for eight years by that time. So the um, anyway, the uh, we. Um, uh, 45 riot police arrive on August 15th and arrest nine of us for serving food without a permit. Turned out there was no permit to get, but that was beside the point. And then... Um, was that at Golden Gate Park? Yeah, Golden Gate Park at the corner of Hayton Standing. And then, so with this document that we get, so right, and also just imagine, there is Eric Weinberger and a bunch of people in Brighton, Massachusetts, like doing Food Not Bombs in Harvard Square and the Boston Commons. There's five people, anarchists down in Long Beach, California, that are doing food not bombs in the park there. And then there's the eight or nine of us in San Francisco doing it. So we got this memo about a year ago that showed from a reliable source, and it's a document by the FBI Joint Terrorism Task Force, and it could be a foreign reliable source, according to this memo, to the San Francisco FBI um, field office saying that we were a national security threat. So then that Thanksgiving, we find out that uh, there's National Guard armories across the country. We're doing workshops um, uh, on domestic terrorism and Food Not Bombs was the focus of that. And we found that out because people would wear the Food Not Bombs button on their coats on the way home for Thanksgiving. And then they'd run into a National Guard person at the airport as they're coming home and they would say, oh, yeah, we just studied them. That's America's most hardcore terrorist group. So there was a lot of reports of that during that period. And so it's funny that all these years later, we get this FBI document kind of starting to show. And we think with litigation and so on, we will ultimately get a lot of documents from the 88 time period showing what their thought was about this. And our belief was that we were um, it was the public expression that money should be diverted from military spending to uh, domestic needs. And so when you look at the local police, which I get a lot more documents from through different lawsuits, it, uh, and just by personally being there and being with the issue and being arrested and so on, they, had, um, they were happy, they said, for us to serve food as long as we served in an armory out by the ocean where no one could see us. And then the final negotiations, we agreed that we would step away from the exact sidewalk where everyone would walk into Golden Gate Park if you were a tourist to this tree. But when the day came and we set up by the tree, the city said, no, no, you have to be in these bushes over here. And for 12 months, no one witnessed food not bombs other than the hungry people that needed the food. And then fortunately, they started arresting us in front of City Hall a year later uh, when the homeless had organized an encampment to protest human rights violations against them. And then we said, well, if you're going to arrest us there, we're just going back to the front. And then their solution to that was to build a huge towering 
you know, gate to get into the park to try to keep us out. And they did a similar thing with the fountain in San Francisco. But then in 97, I end up meet, you know, so that's the beginning of, you know, that's a little short, short version of the FBI direct interference at that moment. But then um, I joined the Leonard Peltier Defense Committee and I'm the staff person or the director or whatever you might want to call me then in Lawrence, Kansas. And I don't do San Francisco food not bombs anymore. And this one person was able to anger people enough that it became very few people in the group. And then they, he had this idea that we should set up at nighttime a United Nations Plaza with just some buckets of soup. And he, he actually destroyed our list, first listserv because he was the only one posting to it and just constantly and he was advocating that we stop bringing literature and banners to the meal. So I didn't really pick up on what how damaging this was until a filmmaker from Australia came to with me to San Francisco to videotape the famous Food Not Bombs. And I had been getting all these calls from people going, oh, we're going to go study how to do Food Not Bombs in San Francisco. And so there, this is kind of what happened in, in uh, um, ultimately, for example, in um, Portland. They moved to a center of a park that was not very well traveled and uh, and didn't bring any banners or literature. And when I tried to find Food Not Bombs, I went to each of the little pods of, of anarchists that were sitting in that park and no one knew who Food Not Bombs was. And by accident, I found Food Not Bombs. And now that is not a very good way to do outreach. And then particularly, and, and so you would see that People that were influenced by that, or the other thing that the FBI appears to have done, I was in Boulder, Colorado, and I was visiting them, and the young girl who had just restarted it was like, oh, yeah, I met this guy at the coffee shop, and he said, oh, if we're not bombs have such a bad reputation, you should change your name to Peas for Peace, right? And um, so that was another strategy. Get So you'd have, like, you know, change the name so you become a charity that is just like a hipster charity as opposed to a, a movement trying to organize to change society and this is what really um i'm thinking of of doing a, a, a campaign in the beginning of the year again to really because the covid a lot of times people were you know at the beginning we stopped in fact we haven't done a literature table at our own meal since covid started because at the beginning, the cops would like, oh, well, you don't want, you know, you, can't, you have, particularly with the clothing distribution, you don't want touching the clothing because the COVID would pass from clothing to clothing. Well, we, now we know it's like airborne thing and it's not got anything to do with like us, you know, scrubbing everything down every day with Clorox, you know, it's mm -hmm. a whole different issue. But, you know, the, the thing is that, you know, Biden just signed the largest military budget in world history of any again like he's been any, doing every, every year of his every year, career and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and um and then i think there's an interesting thing going a parallel going on here as well i had a bunch of friends that were doing the julian assange protest outside the uh, capitol building on the 4th of january and um so they stayed around to film the uh the events on uh, january 6th and to a person, they were like, this looked like a psychops thing. This is because we've all gone to DC outside the Capitol building. And it's they the, the Assange action 
had people surround, they had riot police completely, they had more riot police surrounding the Assange protest. There's no way they could have gotten into the Capitol building, none of that. But here you have like all this cooperation with, with you know, Capitol Police, you have the National Guard isn't called in, all these things. Now we're seeing you know, entire psychological operations units from Norfolk, Virginia showed up, but they were just supposed to be randomly doing that and so on. The same time, you have the, the issue of now in the past couple of days, you know, the United States has started flying their, um, you know, their uh, battle command planes above the border between Ukraine and Russia, right? And there's this whole like, okay, we've got to attack Russia because Russia might invade Ukraine and so on. But then you look, so there's two coups, right? You've got the coup at the nation's capital, you know, 12 months ago, and then you've got the coup in 2014, when uh, uh, Samantha Powers is is telling the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine that Biden has given the green light for the coup, right? And that was all caught on probably Russians were wiretapping their phone. Somebody was, but it got leaked and it was aired, you know, at, you know on BBC and stuff at the time. And so, and, and a really great movie to, that people should watch is uh, Oliver Stone's uh, Ukraine on fire because it shows you very mm. graphically what's going on. So the people that are currently in power in Ukraine, who are the U.S. allies and the people that the United States funded and directed in the coup were the descendants of the neo of the Nazis that were exterminating the Jews in Ukraine during World War II and their descendants and some of the actual individuals are in the two or three Nazi parties that are now the backbone of the current government that the U.S. You're, put in. These, so, 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 you're, so you're saying some of the, no, I just want to clarify this because I hadn't heard the, the part about descendants. It's not just philosophically. You're saying that some of the, some of the, the neo-Nazi organizers of the protests in the Maidan uh, in Ukraine, in Kiev, in 2014-13, were uh, the actual descendants of, of uh, Nazis who exterminated uh, Jews. In, in, yeah, and some in, of the uh, older leaders of those Nazi parties were actually in the SS during the time of Hitler. So, that, I mean, they're real old now. So it's their sons and grandsons that are making up most of the, um, uh, of the military forces, which we could just recently see um, a Nazi flags flying behind the U.S. Uh, behind uh, um, what's his uh, the Secretary of State when he was visiting the front lines there, and, the, yeah. and that Nazi flag is of the actual Nazis who have never stopped being Nazis and who have organized in Ukraine from World War II to now. So, I mean, but if you're not watching the if you're if you're not watching RT or Al Jazeera, you would have no idea, right, about anything that you're talking about right now. I mean, I'm just just in case I don't know who's out there where where what where they get their news. I'm sure they're not watching uh, CNN, uh, you know, but uh, all the time. But but the, uh, the, the they never talk about this stuff, right? They never talk about the fact that there's so much neo-Nazi support for the the what what is essentially a coup government or uh, you, the the fact that that there's so much dissent within the ukraine and that it's not just like uh you know russian provocation and all this i mean this stuff is just not uh not covered covered by the mainstream press in the west 
Correct. Yeah. I mean, so I, I watch a bunch of different journalists that I trust who are on the front lines there. And I watch the, you know, you, there's daily bombings and killings by U.S. backed Nazi troops uh, every day. Um, and and then also, I mean, uh, you know, uh, one of the other problems, people don't kind of remember history, but part of the, it, there was no formal treaty signed. But when Gorbachev and the Soviet Union ended, one of the things that was agreed upon by the U.S. The US promised they would not take any of the, um, move any military into like Ukraine, Poland, uh, um, any of the countries that bordered Ru what became Russia at that time. As part, and that was part of, uh, you know, that was not like formalized, but it was publicly known and it made sense. And NATO was going to keep its distance and there was going to be kind of a, a ring of unaligned countries in between that and then, and now, you know, when the coup's happening, and it's interesting, I went to Wikipedia to check out the coup and it got renamed and dignity um, uprising, you know, and all these things like that. You could see that it was just clearly a, you know, most, many Wikipedia, Wikipedia pages are rewritten by intelligence operations of either the military or CIA or something, but, and that's become really clear. But, um, it's like completely not what I remember. And I watched like a lot of, you know, I see, I, Funa Bombs is involved, involved in the first coup, uh, US backed coup, quite by accident. Um, they provided food for 100 days in the Orange Revolution. And, <laughs> um, and the Orange Revolution, you know, and Gene Sharp, who's somebody I know, I knew, and uh, whose ideas I, I um, studied. Um, was hired by, you know, um, foundation that was turned out to be funded by George Soros, which makes sense. And it's always funny that George Soros is supposed to be funding the anti -fog George Soros stuff. is a real I mean, person and not a just a joke. Yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly I mean, this is, he is an, an actual billionaire who does this fund all, all kinds of stuff. It's, he's not yeah. just a meme or a joke. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's a real person. And he helped fund that. And you could see, um, you know, U.S. ambassadors going around handing out cookies and stuff like that. So anyway, the, um, the you know, so I had a lot of interest in, in following food up bonds in Ukraine. And so that's part of how I get information about that. And then that's how I figure out who, uh, 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 you know, even, even credible journalists that are on front line providing these videotapes have, a, like all journalists, um, will have their own perspective and they're probably a little more pro-russian even though they're from Brit the one one of the couple of them that i know who've been there for years are british in background but um you know we could see that so this right now there's this idea that russia's amassing troops on its border and but putin and it did make a little bit of news that putin said hey you know would you, how would you like it if we started putting missiles on your border and you're proposing to put on our military on the border. And now you have, and, and, and it's just hard to tell what the, you know, it could be that part of the reason of having a conflict there as the, also in the, you know, all the uh, Cold War stuff with China is to provide an excuse for the only bill that was bipartisan that just, you know, was easy to pass. You couldn't pass like an act there were, i don't even, i think um maxine waters introduced a bill to try to deal with homelessness in the united states and it's gone nowhere 
And um, no, of course, you don't hear because the landlord lobby and there's too much money in the real estate business and the housing market is booming. There's these financialized hedge fund, whatever they're making so much money off of. Uh, but where yeah. where it's going and what where it when it ends, how it ends. I'm just wondering, you know, I, I have no idea where, where it all ends. But when you're talking about, um, you know, how much they can they keep on doubling the rent? Where do people eventually go? I don't know. We can't even move to Idaho anymore. You know, it's too expensive there, too. You know, there's nowhere left. But um, you, you, you're well, talking about international food. Oh, tell me. What they're proposing in Santa Cruz is is um, they're, they're considering put, uh, building... Um, like Japanese style internment camps in um, Fort Roberts out in the middle of nowhere, south of Santa Cruz is what the last mayor was proposing. And that they will bus everybody out there to this camp. And, um, and now with 40 million Americans facing eviction, that strategy sounds like, you know, eventually they're gonna say it more publicly. Um, this and, is like really reminiscent of the what they used to do a hundred years ago uh, with the workhouses, right? I mean, they'd pick up indigent people off of the streets of places like Portland and send them out to poor houses or workhouses. Or in the case of Portland, they there was a place called Kelly Butte where people would get sent where they were. It was a prison rock quarry, and and you could get arrested and go to prison for, of course, just being vagrant, right? So then they right. could send you there, and then you'd be splitting rocks. Very dangerous work with explosives. A lot of people died yeah it's a yeah. wonderful well wonderful now my thought, yeah i think they're going to do a thing where they're because of the way ai and stuff is i think you get a job at the camp making components for some kind of military program or satellites or some kind of thing right and they're going to hook you all up and everything and then th try to make it so that it'll become robotics in the future and then once they're figured everything out with ai then they just stop feeding you. That would, and I think the other thing that could potentially be sounds like the Matrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they're also going to declare all public enemies of the state and homeless being the first one because of its pressure against, you know, BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street and all them who want, you know, they they bought they're buying Santa Cruz. They're building luxury condos and lux there's supposed to be a six-story luxury hotel by some New York developer at where we're serving food now with a swimming pool on top. We actually do have earthquakes. We have Loma Prieta, which was, uh, uh, you know, in October 17th, 89. You can't Big one. Ima just imagine a, a huge thing of water on the roof of a building. That's psycho. And it's in a floodplain. Um, but the, the prices are just what, and then they so they drive people out of Santa Cruz, and they don't necessarily move into tents. They move to Portland, and then other people move into tents. And I mean, it's a it's a, it's a circuitous uh, process. Yeah. But where, where do they, where does it end? I mean, I don't expect you to know. But what, what, what I mean, I I lived in an apartment in San Francisco, one of those nice Victorians you can find all over the city, and uh, this four-bedroom apartment that rented for. Or, uh, let's see, twelve hundred dollars in nineteen in the early nineties, which is now six thousand, and yeah. and it's exactly the same place. It's just instead of three hundred for each room, you're paying fifteen hundred for each room. But and of course, it's impossible for any uh, family that's not rich to live there. It's a, so it's only going to be like a bunch of individuals who are in a group house who all work for Google or whatever who can afford to live there. But 
but that, what, then what about everybody else? I mean, there's only like a few hundred thousand people with that kind of income in the country, as far as I know, or maybe, I don't know, maybe a few million, or I don't know how many, but most people don't have that kind of money. And, and, and it's this, these kinds of prices are not just in San Francisco anymore. Yeah, they're everywhere. We just have one family, the Rollins, who we, um, they lived in Santa Cruz. When COVID happened, they lost their apartment. This is a, um, a, a mother and, and um, two, two children and, uh, and, and a, uh, and a dis, um, developmentally disabled um, wife of one of, the, of her children. And, um, and so they lost their place because the family needed their relatives to move into the place. So there wasn't like, you know, they were just like, oh, wow, we're out. So they're originally years ago were from North Carolina. That's where their family was. Well, they get there and they can't, there's no place for them either uh, there. It's too expensive in North Carolina. They can't find a place. And eventually they give up and go, well, you know, we heard that it's really cheap in las vegas so they go to las vegas they spend months there they can't um get anywhere there so they come back to santa cruz figuring well we've got you know we wish we used to volunteer with food not bombs we'll disconnect with them maybe we'll something happen so then they go on they we go to the housing authority everything to get them housing and they're all excited because they found something that will you know it has to they're um you know through that they could afford with the disability check and so on and house after house after house just you know they, they, they're so excited and i i gave them 150 dollars to fill out the application thankfully the first landlord gave the 150 back but then the next landlord didn't they lost their application so here you're an unhoused person living in a, in a car you can can't register that that basically we raised money to get for them 800 van that they now live in and um and now they're being harassed by the cops all the time for parking in, in a van well you know they just made a new law on top of it's illegal to sleep in a car anyway then they made an anti-rv law you can't park an rv overnight in the city and all that and they just keep doing this and then there's so then the strategy of the of the city was under covid eventually was everybody has to you know well, first of all, they were going to just drive everyone into doorways and stuff. Well, that was after they were going to make triage centers where everybody's going to be caged in parking lots. But the resistance to that got really heavy. And so they gave up on that plan. And then they and then um, they start like eventually forcing people like just got to get you can't be here and here. So people started camping in this park called San Lorenzo Park. Then the city decides on in the Christmas time, the holiday evictions of last year, we're going to get rid of them all. They got rid of part of the camp, but we blocked physically the eviction of the, the next phase, phase two and three. We got into federal court. We blocked it. And then the city argued to put everybody in a floodplain, and the judge went for it. And now the floods have washed away people's belongings into the river. And they and we've been telling them the whole, even in court. Right from the time they started this uh, plan to put it in, in there, you were you were saying this is a floodplain. There's going to be floods, and that yeah. that was at the very beginning of the plan. And then it just happened, right? And talk yeah, about yeah. what just what just happened. Well, so the, it, it, we have that um, you know massive amount of rain in California, and the river rose as predicted, and it actually washed over one quarter of the camp and took the entire camp into the river out towards the ocean 
So everybody lost all their belongings. Now the rest of the camp got, was sunk. Um, be, uh, people, even in the months before that, were collecting pallets to put their things on, uh, digging trenches. So even when there was this light ring, people saw the flow of the water. So there's trenches all over to divert the water. But then that was nowhere near good enough to be able to divert what was happening. So, and then people tried to move up to the higher ground where they originally were, and they couldn't do that because the cops blocked them and told them they had to go back down there. And then finally, they eventually, it became world news. It was in The Guardian, and there's a, one of the local activists actually had a video drone, and it made world news where it showed the, the water just going through the camp. So it had become like about 400 people living in that camp. And mm. it was all, they were all forced there by the city. So now they've like oh, um, this flashpoint area, which was uh, where they were going to, where it was one of 500 potential locations for a place for people to camp um, proposed by these two progressive um, uh, city councilors, one of the first black city councilors that were in Santa Cruz history, uh, Drew Glover. And they used that threat of camping in depot, near Depot Park, which is a parking lot, um, uh, as a way to mobilize the homeowners to back a, a um, recall, which got rid of these two city councilors and brought in all real estate supporting uh, city councilors with the exception of one. And so now they just passed one luxury condo building you know, permit after another. And, but now they've been forced into having like 50, 60 tents back at the flashpoint of Depot Park. And uh, for sure that part of the ideology of that is to get the West Side homeowners to revolt and demand even stricter repression against the unhoused and everybody in power is uh, completely on board with, with that. And that's why I think that ultimately internment camps for homeless is in, in our future. And any other I really think I mean the the internment camp I think there's all if, yeah if, if if people have spent time in places like Santa Cruz or in Portland uh, I mean for anybody that's that's listening to this who, who who might be shocked at the notion of internment camps you know if you, you spend time in places like Portland and Santa Cruz and I think even more true of Santa Cruz than in, of Portland the the mentality among uh, some of the members of the what we might call the middle class or whatever you know that the the those who can afford to own these million dollar homes or or who have been you know there long enough that they you know inherited one or whatever their situation is there's and seems to be an ever increasing number of people who speak about folks living in the streets in more and more dehumanized ways and it just more and more reminds me of the way you know people in 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 societies that did have internment camps like this one the way people would talk increasingly about those they would in turn as dirty you know and and of course the homeless the dirty is the enemies are always dirty and the homeless are in you know it's hard not to be dirty so you know when you're living in a situation like that and uh, of course it was it's hard not to be dirty when you're when you're forced into a ghetto like in so many other historical situations before people get interned yeah, well, like in the United States, we, of course, have the idea of the savages and so on who were then put on reservations. That would be kind of our first 
and the genocide that goes along with that. That would be our first uh, such dehumanizing. And then, you know, Mein Kampf, they talk about how successful that was, uh, Hitler, and he, and then you get the, the first wave of people that were interned were the homeless and the mentally ill and, and opponents of the state. And you can see now there's like two, there's a, you know, there's this new um, domestic extremist law, which the January 6th thing is the kind of the theater to um, to pass it, right? And we're going to have a big celebration on January 6th of the survival of the state from the attempted coup by state. <laughs> but, um, you know, so, uh, it, so it's a, you know, the, what, what's the talk about this? Because really, really the, the laws they're passing, it just seems like after the Charlottesville trial, and which which just sounded seemed so much like a show trial, I, it, I don't know how many people on the left have been concerned about the possibility of these 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 uh, you know bankrupting these right wing organizations and these laws they want to pass to to limit their influence how that can all be turned around and used against the left and how it historically these kinds of laws have been used against the left yeah so if you get the um the biden's uh, homeland security domestic extremist handbook um that he put out that was put out by in uh 20 march of 2020 it has these categories of uh, extremists now there is one the very first one is is white supremacist and and what you would call you know like proud, it doesn't say proud boys and stuff but that kind of an idea, but then the, the rest of them are essentially food not bombs. So you have anti-capitalist, anarchist, um, anti-fa, um, environmentalist, um, uh, people that, that that question the political and economic system. These are all potential um, domestic extremists. Now, even though we have been technically classified as one of America's most hardcore terrorist groups, the idea of creating a new domestic extremist law, and I think partially that was, um, you know, like if we look at all the domestic extremist cases in the United States since 9-11, uh, where, uh, you know, you, it, they are often, I think there's not been any that was actually a random person that was not working for the FBI or alcohol and tobacco or Homeland Security that didn't invent the plot. So like um, Eric McDavid, who's a friend of mine and Food Not Bombs, got 19 years for domestic terrorism. And it turned out the entire thing was that he didn't even know he was involved in it. And then I had to, I wrote about it in both my last two books, Anarchist Cookbook and Hungry for Peace, because it was so traumatizing and thank goodness they lawyers eventually got the documents showing that the entire thing was invented by the FBI and this informant that they hired. And, very, and, and, and then you see this with the same thing with the Chicago, uh, the Cleveland Five, of which three of them were Food Not Bombs activists. The entire plot was the imagination and made up and, 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 and these people were cultivated to participate in it, just like the Whitmore kidnapping. Well, in Michigan, is that Michigan, I guess, or Wisconsin, whatever, the, the was all created by the FBI. So, so that you know, that you, you see, and now what? What I think that this new information about the FBI being in the anti-Black Lives Matter marches in in um, in Portland will come out eventually that a lot of the 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 burning of this or that were agent provocateurs as yeah. we found out in Ferguson after that the Black Lives Matter there it turned out that was all manipulated yeah. we found out it's it's just an it's uh, the battle of Seattle 
you know, I spent like years organizing around against the WTO and trying to get organized for that. And it was super, super successful when it was uh, the uh, um, when Dan, the uh, um, Direct Action Network, was blocking the, the, the convention center and everything. And then that didn't work out. So agent provocateurs attacked like uh, Starbucks and Nikes. That became I travel the world. Everyone wants to know if I'm the one that threw the first, first rock through Starbucks. And mm. no, I had nothing to do with that. That turned, no. and then uh, McGowan ended up, uh, Daniel McGowan ended up in prison behind that. Punap Bonds activists and the whole thing, you know. So that's what right now there's kind of race war that is. You particularly see um, express. You know, I think the target. You know, certainly, you know, we're finding out that the main people in Proud Boys, particularly in the January sixth, but throughout the whole time, have been FBI informants, and. Um, mm. So, so like you get dupes that get sucked, you know, the FBI spends a lot of energy or like the New the Newburgh, New York case where it was yeah, classic. Four black kids, you know, and, and mm. they had no money and, and they, it's just like what they did. They didn't the know where to find Chicago on a map and they're supposed to be going to Chicago to blow up a building. Right. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Or these kids down in, 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 uh, in uh, Liberty city, uh, uh, Florida, same thing. So it, I don't think that there, so you know, the mainstream media is not talking about these, you know, they're, you know, right now that the, because the Democratic Party agenda is the dominant agenda. And um, even though it's exactly the same as the Republican agenda, in most ways, except for it's woke, which, you know, mm -hmm. which that angers me too, because I think racism is super important issue and homophobia and all these things, but these people have weaponized it. They're so using it for their agenda. Yeah. They don't want to solve the problem. They just yeah. want to use it to yeah, the DNC. Yeah, I they'll mean. paint Black Lives Matter in front of Santa Cruz City Hall. Now they're playing this whole woke game in Santa Cruz, where some yeah, you know, Black Lives Matter, kids. but an average black family could never possibly afford to live in Santa Cruz, anywhere. Yeah, all the black uh, lives that matter, which is all the black lives, hang out at Food Not Bombs trying to get food. So right, they, right. That, that's black who's, that's who's, who the black lives who are in Santa Cruz are in line at the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yet they're running this whole thing. So some young kids like figured out, I don't even know how to do it. It's kind of brilliant um, what they did, but they were able to drop, there's a big yellow Black Lives Matter painted in front of Sea Hall. And they were able to take a vehicle and skid this perfect S-shaped black through the whole thing. And they're like 20 years old. And now it's a big hate crime thing. It's a major story, but they don't go and paint out the 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 black right. street going through it and return it to be a beautiful thing. No, they got to use it. That's the right. memory that white supremacists and yeah, Cruz, create which conflict. Are the same white supremacists that these same kids are throwing rocks at homeless people in doorways. It's no mm -hmm. different, you know. But that's not a hate crime. It's okay to beat up. In fact, the city encourages actively through its language at city council meetings and in its laws to, you know, they, cre they create, they're actually, so the same people that are using this Black Lives Matter defacing are the same people that are actively organizing citizen vigilante attacks against homeless people. Exactly. Mm. Mm -hmm. And they create this whole language. I, I, I'm, I'm working on this memoir and in 85, uh, 1985, 86, um, there's a struggle to get rid of the homeless out of the neighborhood I li lived and worked in. And we started an organization called 24-Hour Residents of, of Kenmore Square. 
And um, that's where Fenway Park is and, and all that. And my then wife and myself wrote this letter, which fortunately I still have copies of, about how the demonization by the Kenmore Association um, could, it, it's the same demonization that made it possible to intern homeless people in, in Nazi Germany. And my, mm. our, our letter to the association, which we were members of, and I was actually approached by the vice president, Paul, to make a, take a picture of this black guy, is what he called him, and put a red circle around it with a line through it, like no parking, and with the headlines, wanted out of Kenmore Square. And I go, Paul, that person is the mayor of Kenmore Square. That's his nickname. It's Mr. Butch. Everybody loves him. When they go to the Fenway Park, they all want their babies kissed by him. He looked just like Jimi Hendrix, and he had a broken guitar that he held. And he, he was the kindest, sweetest guy. Um, he you know, had like a brain injury, which made him even more kind of cosmic in a way. And he was just loved. So he just loved everybody. He was just pure reggae love, you know, was his thing. And, um, and when he died, when, when, when Mr. Butch died, there were vigils for candlelight vigils in all in the Boston commons and in the commons in Amherst and in Burlington commons, because Red Sox were the new England baseball team, right? Mm. Everybody more. Yeah. One remembers who Paul is and the Kenmore yeah. system, but everybody loved him. And they fortunately couldn't get rid of him. And that, you know, that level of gentrification is finally happening, but wasn't successful. And, and so we get that pattern is just, it's been that way, this anti-homeless language and media against homeless. You know, there's um, the death, what is it, the death of, of Seattle or something, where Seattle dies, where it's this, this, Mm-hmm. Making you oh, know, yeah. and, and everybody talking all the time about just, Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's like they're all blaming the t blaming folks living in the tents for the state of affairs in the city. Yeah, I just read this morning too that in Denver they're now like creating, and it's somewhat similar to the the company that comes out and cleans up the camps. But they've got also now mm -hmm. the, the snitch industry is becoming mm -hmm. huge now. And so mm. there's a private corporation that's supposed to go around and get volunteers to come out and and turn in homeless people for living outside, you know, and try to get rid of them. I mean, what kind of a society is that where you have formalized city coordinated private vigilante groups and that you're openly proud of of, of supporting, you know, and we have ours called the uh, Santa Cruz Neighbors, which the head of it is also the head of the police volunteer um unit and, and she has the power to ticket people as does all of her members and so they go around and they and particularly anybody living in the car they will ticket them and, and if you can get five tickets in a day then you can unregister the vehicle and make it mm. impossible for a person to re and then you and then once they're registered and they actually look to see when your registration's up so they heavily ticket you for that so when you try to register you can't register so they make they uh, and they even did a whole thing called west side story where they bragged about towing uh, uh, 17 people's RVs and uh, junking them. Yeah, so making sure that they have to live in tents. Yeah, the, the, yeah making sure they're as downwardly them. mobile as possible. Yeah. Yeah, we bought okay. $2,000 worth of tents in uh, December, ah, yeah. 2000 in November, and 1000 in October. Mm. We're also running out of paper products every uh, week now because we're running out of food. 
Uh, we're getting a second uh, or third shipping container to store more food. Mm. Um, the it's going out, out out of control. So in the end, I joke with uh, the government employees when I'm tr- uh, you know like the, we have all these people in charge of homelessness who make 150 to 200 thousand dollars a year, mm. and I call them up trying to get a family into a house and say, "Hi, this is Keith from the Housing Authority." Um, you know because we're the ones housing people in tents. Yeah. Yeah, we are the entire social service agency in this county of Santa Cruz, and that's outrageous. That that just volunteer individuals and a movement called Food Not Bombs are it, and, and I, you know, I got ticketed three hundred fifty dollars for delivering food to um, this place that got flooded before it got flooded, and when we were sent taking a pallet, and now then we were taking two pallets of food down there every week. And um, and I end up running into the city manager and the chief of police, and I ask him, "Have you ever been to a food riot?" And they go, "No, no, we've never been to food riot." I said, "Well, I have." And and if you you jack me up anymore, I'm gonna just you know our group will just take a week off, take a vacation for a week, and we'll see what happens in Santa Cruz. Wow, man, they did not want to deal with that because they know seven days of no food for like uh, 800 people. And yeah. I said, look, I'm friends with Adam, who's the manager at, at, at Trader Joe's. And I don't want Trader, the, first the shoplifting will escalate, and then eventually they'll just sack the building. And, um, yeah. and I'm friends with new, the people that run New Leaf, the other grocery store within walking distance of the camp. And uh, we don't want to see our, our friends that are running these uh, uh, grocery stores um, you know, lose their livelihood because you decided you were going to allow everyone to go hungry for a week and yeah they'll, they'll charge you with conspiracy for making an observation like that huh they could. well i have been charged with conspiracy. yeah by <laughs> 47 counts so i don't know how that is <laughs> are we done or what's going on are yeah i think questions uh, or something? i think uh, there's been uh, no no more questions coming up other than just some nice uh, various nice comments and and lots of people agreeing with everything we're saying and uh, and sharing uh, a couple of local anecdotes um, about uh, prices rising and more people living in tents and uh, and uh, more people being intolerant of them and yeah there's a uh, yeah i yeah. think we're just yeah i think it's the pandemic has shown one thing is that the anarchist community and, uh, and mutual aid has basically been the saving grace, oddly enough, in all over. I mean, I know like, yeah. I'm in contact with Food Not Bombs and all over the world. You know, in the military, uh, you know, takeover of Myanmar, we ended up adding more Food Not Bombs chapters under mil- martial law. Wow. And there's pandemic at the same time. And all that's in the Philippines, like, I know there's active chapters in the Philippines, and uh, what a mess that is with the hurricane. The, the typhoon is just yeah. Uh, I've been kind of unable to get them money because of my situation of travel right now, but I'm hope to. And um, you know, check out the Etnico Bandito States. page on Patreon, everybody out there. Etnico Bandito. That's the the, the you, you can find uh, food not bombs yeah, in Manila Chris on and Patreon and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris and Joey and Mel and all them, and they they have done. Every cyclone that's happened there, the Funo bombs has stepped up. And um, it's just like what we did, like with Katrina, Sandy, um, yeah. COVID. If you need something done for, you know, for survival, call Mutual an anarchist. Aid. They'll call an anarchist. That's right. <laughs> 
that's about it. And if you want to become an anarchist and you are not yet a card carrying anarchist, <laughs> you can buy my book. <laughs> the anarchist book. Which there essentially you tells you how to just hold a meeting, get food, organize concerts, go, how to do a tour, you know, but, you know, because actually doing things is what is important. Um, yeah, it's fun writing Absolutely. about things. It's fun talking about things. It's uh, implementation, doing practice, practice. What, yes. Where it's at, right? And the anarchist the cookbook. And the anarchist cookbook in, is that available in uh, online and ebook form yeah. too? Yeah, it is. And you could go if you go to uh, C Sharp Press published it in Tucson, Arizona. I think that's mm -hmm. the easiest way to get the um, the uh, ebook. Uh, a hard copy you could either get through them or through food, go to foodnutbombs.net, and I have both my most recent books there. And then Great. you can also sign up on the um, there's an email thing if you want to get news. Of, um, one of the things I'm doing in Mexico is going through the edits of uh, this amazing person, uh, Paul Lee. Read my whole book, went through the whole thing. He just turned 90. Um, one, he's like a one of the uh, you know. Um, people that have, have actually made it possible for homeless people in Santa Cruz to survive at all. He started the Homeless Garden Project. He set up a family uh, uh, shelter called the Paul Lee Loft, named after him. He doesn't even, it's not his money. A homeless person um, actually came to money at one point, and he became the trustee of that with another friend of mine, Herb Schmidt. And... Um, and so it's an actual homeless person whose money is the principal money for even the for actual real things that happen for homeless people in Santa Cruz. And, you know, they contribute a small amount to us as well. But but uh, it's just a beautiful thing. And I'm so honored and to uh, to have that, you know, and then I have a, another editor um, um, as well. And so hopefully this book will come out relatively soon. But that's uh um, you can sign up for that. But the main thing is get Excellent. out there and do stuff. And get out there and do stuff. Are, there's yeah. always hope for the future if there's the possibility yeah. of mass movements to change it. Yep. Yeah. Don't get Keith, duped it's by been a uh, pleasure. corporate media. <laughs> Don't get duped by corporate media or the FBI or the CIA. The yeah, and that's, a, you know, I was just listening to somebody. I forget who it was. But the main thing is just live your your truth, you know, and get out there. And don't worry about the FBI. I mean, I've been under FBI. I've had a lot of problems. They've confiscated my mail. You know, they've sent me really beautiful women to sleep with. Um, there's all kinds of advantages to being under massive surveillance by the FBI. Um, but there's some disadvantages. But the reality is, if you're doing what you, needs to be done and you feel, and I have this in both, I refer to this in the chapters, how to avoid being convicted of terrorism. Um, that's the thing. Just live your passion. Do if you're on a witness stand and you said, Yeah, I fed those people, what about it? Life in prison, huh? Cool, that's the way it's got to be. That's the way it's got to be. But I'm not going to not feed those people just because you're trying to send me 25 to life in prison or some bogus thing you came up with, which I did have to do, you know, I did face that, but um, you know, that's the thing, it's just do what you, you know. That we need everybody on deck at this rate. We can spend half of the federal income taxes that Americans pay on military, but we can't, and we can bail out the banks. We, do, we gave the most money ever to the richest people in the world in the last uh, two years. Um, 
but then we have all these people living on the streets. So I really, it's an opening for people that like ourselves to create our own future with our own music, our own art, our own food systems, our own, you know, we just have to, to do that. And people are cool. They'll, people are much more amazing. You know, if I need something, a car fix, there's a mechanic living in the tent in my parking lot where we serve food every day who could fix your car. You need a house built, we've got homeless carpenters that can help you build whatever, pour concrete, whatever you need, because we are, that's who's homeless, the people that made America. So we do yeah. have a lot of talent, but the, we also have to overcome this, like poisoning our community with government sponsored floods of drugs. And, and I think people really, you know, that's what's, you know, my grandfather set up the heroin distribution to the United States during World War II. And he did so mm. to put the black community in their place because they knew after World War II that black people would think they ha should have equal rights to white people because they were dying and being maimed in the same war with the white people. So my grandfather, who worked in OSS and who also did Operation Meeting House, the largest, most deadly bombing campaign in world history, and who was super proud of it and assumed I would follow mm. in his footsteps, um, explained that we had to poison the black community so they fight each other over heroin, and that's, that's what we're seeing now with with uh, the yeah. government uh, uh, chemical warfare on the homeless population, which is now. And that's it, what we were seeing in the early seventies as well. Yeah. Sorry, that's but yeah, exactly. in the early seventies as well with the, with the the government campaign against the Black Panthers and other groups, it was uh, so, so much of that flooding. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a common with, thing, or or like when we had that tent city protest. And, yeah, it's just it's tragic, but we have to. So that you know. That's what we've got to see it for what it is. It's chemical warfare against the people. And I'm, and I think agitating that ideology in the homeless camps is, is important because yeah, that's uh, great. we should not be like more concerned about where our next fix is. We should be more concerned about where our next house is. You know? yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Keith, uh, let's do chapter two of Thank this discussion you, sometime soon. It's been such a pleasure yeah. catching up a little bit. Yeah, it's I'll, great uh, seeing you again. Absolutely, cool. and hopefully in the real world sometime in the near future. Yeah, but, yeah um, just show up in my uh, parking lot with, uh, not mine, but I don't own it, but the city I think owns it, but the parking lot where we serve food, if you get a chance to come visit, you know, after your bad experience I'll, at Loudon Nelson Hall, we do Oh, yeah, I'll just play outside. That's what I'll we be do. there. We, we do a I'd love to, I want to do a whole tour of playing day. outdoors. Yeah, I could do a tour Absolutely. of Food Not Bombs chapters. That would be a really yeah, fun Yeah, you could idea, do that. Actually. That would be a really cool connection. You going to Food Not Bombs, Food Not Bombs, and uh, that would be beautiful. That would be yeah. very interesting be real to line up. If I yeah. could line up the whole thing, like with uh, figure out what the schedule is and all that and do it. Yeah, that's a really interesting idea. Also, a, a global yeah. Food Not Bombs uh, sort of, um, there's so many, if you're in touch with so many Food Not Bombs chapters around the world, the, the possibility for sort of grassroots global news coverage uh, is really quite something, I think. Uh, yeah, well, you know, we, back in the day, we organized that indie media back in 95 which yeah. then when not yeah. when the wto happened it was already in place so it's like that um, yeah but the but the, and right now we're oddly enough doing global zoom meetings that's interesting we get 25 30 people yeah. from every continent all talking nice about thing. their food up on trip you know it's a yeah. beautiful thing. that's my favorite thing about the pandemic
That's yeah, the only nice been, thing. <laughs> yeah. I've had a lot, you know, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of really beautiful things happen because of the pandemic. Sadly yeah. enough. And, and, uh, it's true. And now it's time to totally, you know, resist because I think there's going to be massive clamp down, um, you know, in the new year and uh, both in the, what, what they're going to use the phony uh, domestic extremist excuse. I think they're going to do all these like uh, ways of manipulating the um, COVID passports and stuff to criminalize people that they're targeted. Um, you know, I think there's going to be like this matrix of, uh, of repression uh, uh, and under the goal of like trying to, you know, save us from whatever the next crazy thing, economic collapse, the, or, you know, inflation theft that's occurring, you know, there's an, an you know, attacks on Bitcoin, cryptocurrency that, that maybe that's all criminal, you know, you just don't. These people like got billions of dollars of money in think tanks to figure out how to manipulate society and armies of people to go undercover to do so. And so it's if we stay on our truth and our path, then um, and, and I think, you know, I've had some fun experience with FBI agents who have actually written very glowing reports on food, not bombs, <laughs> you know, and that was not their job. I've had two operations interfere with that which was like, great, <laughs> things like that. So, you know, so uh, yeah, I think that, uh, yeah, there's a lot of potential. Um, so they, they, by overstepping their whole agenda, have made it possible for people like ourselves to, to thrive and to, you know, it's taking the veil of capitalism off the people's eyes, you know, exactly. Showing how cool well, it is, how there's unlimited murder involved in there programs they don't care about us who's feeding you not the government the anarchists sure. <laughs> you give me hope for the future and uh, we'll talk to you sometime in 2022 keith yeah we'll see Thank you next you year so much. Bye -bye, yeah <laughs> see you next year <laughs> take care bye bye everyone take out there care, in keith. land or whatever land it is that we're in <laughs> <Bye -bye. laughs> yeah whatever whatever this metaverse is <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> cool. Take care. Bye bye. See you soon. You're gonna have bye, to Keith. say goodbye because I don't know how to get oh yeah, I'll I'll close it out here. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. And that's Ben Keith McHenry, co founder of Food Not Bombs, talking to us from the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. And uh, somebody was mentioning uh, something about uh, the Anarchist Cookbook. It's, it's the same title, different book from the other one, although uh, with, with permission and everything, uh, endorsement and everything. Um, you can find this uh, archived on the Food Not Bombs global Facebook page, um, as well as on Twitter, YouTube, uh, Twitch, and various other places. Popular Resistance. Speaking of Popular Resistance, uh, in, in terms of uh, the Ukraine uh, stuff uh, that um, Keith was talking about. Uh, check out the um, recent podcast uh, interview uh, on clearing the fog with Bruce Bruce Gagnon on that very subject. And um, yeah, I'll see you around. Keep on keeping on. Bye for now, everybody. <laughs>